You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and I'm so excited to bring another podcast to you this morning. Now, I wanted to talk today about the actual cost of mortgage deferrals. You may have heard by now that they don't come for free. To pass that mortgage payment to the future isn't going to be one that's a smooth walk. In fact, it's going to cost you money. The question is, is how much? We're going to cover that today. As well, I want to get into, is coronavirus worth destroying local businesses over? We're seeing this crazy fluctuation in the marketplace, and there is a additional costs to closing businesses that maybe we aren't calculating. And finally, I want to cover what the markets are doing and how they're responding to the coronavirus. Now, these things, they circle real estate in many ways. None of them are directly affecting real estate, but ultimately they do because when we're dealing with mortgages, we're dealing with costs to Canadians, we're dealing with our economy, and we're dealing with the stock market and people's investments and and opportunities that they have to um obtain wealth, these things all circle back. So we are dancing around the topic of real estate today. And I want to try and uh, relate all of these things to the markets and what we're seeing here in the greater Toronto area. Now we're nearing the end of the first week of recording this style of podcast. Uh, Today is Saturday. Tomorrow, we're going to take a day off just given that there's not as much news and a lot of what we're covering today has been sprinkled through the week. And I will see you guys again bright and early on Monday morning. In the meantime, I've asked a lot of people that follow me on various channels to review and subscribe to what we're putting out here on the podcast platform because it is unique and it's not found anywhere else. And at the same time, I'm getting questions back from people asking, well, how do I go about reviewing your channel? So I did a little bit of research yesterday, and as it turns out, reviews are only possible on iTunes. So if you have the iTunes app, do everybody a favor, jump over and give us a review. You can leave a comment as well, but no pressure. Give us that beautiful five-star review. And there are plenty of channels that compete with us on iTunes. So you need to scroll a little bit there, but given that it's probably based on reviews, uh, we don't fall so high up in the list. However, when you look on Google Podcasts, you look on um, Stitcher, you'll see we're right near the top. In fact, on Google Podcasts, we're number one. And we've only been doing this for the last week. So I'd love to get those reviews as well on iTunes and help boost this channel. I'm a little biased, but I personally think the content we're putting out here is the most relevant and most amazing content related to the local market. And I hope you guys think so too. So we're going to jump right into it. We're going to start, as promised, talking about mortgage deferrals. Now, I don't know about you guys, but there's been a lot of people who have taken mortgage deferrals. I never took mortgage deferrals. There's a lot of questions when this happened, when this ruling took place. My perspective from the outside is this is nothing new. They're talking about mortgage deferrals. However, mortgage in the mortgage industry, they have had something called a mortgage holiday in place for a long time, where if you choose, you can kind of borrow from your own mortgage to defer your payments for a fixed period of time, but ultimately the interest that you haven't paid would get bumped and tacked on to the tail end. And of course, because your principal is lasting longer, ultimately over the 25 years or 30 years of that mortgage, your costs will be higher. So the question is, is how much? Because now the mortgage deferrals is a little bit more of a popular idea 
In fact, according to this article published by CanadianMortgageTrends.com, the article reads, latest in mortgage news, maximum mortgage deferral could cost up to $12,000. And that's the heading. And they claim that nearly 600,000 Canadians have so far taken advantage of some form of mortgage deferral assistance due to COVID-19, according to the Canadian Bankers Association, the CBA. With the average mortgage payment amounting to $1,326, this has freed up r- roughly $778 million per month, according to Canada Mortgage and Housing Corp. Then this is a quote. From the CBA, this keeps money in the pockets of people who need it now. Banks have publicly reported that more than 90% of those seeking a deferral are approved. Now, that sounds like, oh, those banks are so helpful. Great. But now keep in mind, they're kind of mandatory. It's mandatory requirement. They all have their own guidelines on doing this is my understanding. I have not personally applied for it, but just talking to people, it sounds like every program is a little bit different and they need to have their own checkbox, but you need to submit quite a bit of info. But if 90% of them being approved then ultimately they're doing a really good job of allowing these things. But I do personally believe the reason for that is because this is not a brand new program. It's just an extension of a holiday that's been in in place for some time. But apparently it's helping Canadians because people are applying for it. And I don't think the news of it going to cost you more down the road is is new information. I think that people know that. They just haven't really done the math. And in a scenario where you can't afford to make your mortgage payment, it's irrelevant. There was talks early on that people were questioning, well, should I just not make my mortgage payment? And I I like to think that that's resolved, but in, just in case it's not for our listeners, make your mortgage payment. If you, if you cannot make your mortgage payment, then seek a deferral, but you need to make that mortgage payment. To not make a mortgage payment has huge implications. And while we're on this line of thinking as well, you guys will know that property taxes in many cases have been deferred as well if you choose. But then there becomes this huge conflict where people are paying their um, they're paying their property taxes underneath their mortgage. They're, they're submitting it to their lender and the lender is making the payments on their behalf. And how does that get deferred? I don't know how those questions are going. If you do send us a message, because that's a very interesting side that we're not really going to dive into, but it creates additional confusion. Today, I was, ta- I was reading as well, and it's not in our publications today, but people being left out. For example, people who have been let go or laid off that we're going to have a baby, then they're being told they can't claim EI for their baby, but also the emergency benefit. And so what happens as you're creating all of these regulations and these loopholes for everybody is there's going to naturally be people left through the cracks and they need to be filled in. And I think the local governments are doing a pretty good job of filling in the cracks. And as they hit the the major airwaves, as a number of people are filling out these petitions, it seemed to be actually very progressive in the changes on a short-term basis. Because I think for the first time, as we're seeing from our provincial and our federal counterparts in, in office, that they both agree that we need to protect business. And because this was something that you, if you're going to close my business, there needs to be money in place to protect it until things get back to normal And so with that agreement, things are happening very quickly. So I'm going to keep moving on this article. So, but of course, taking advantage of mortgage payment deferrals naturally comes at a cost. And that has been calculated at up to $1,200 in extra interest payments for those taking the full six-month deferrals. According to math from Integrated Mortgage Planners, Inc., mortgage broker Dave LaRock published recently in the Globe and Mail. So they've calculated, and I'm not going to go and nor do I want to grind through the numbers here and seeing how they're going to calculate interest because that's just going to make everybody fall asleep this early in the morning. 
But it has been calculated and it's been published in the Globe and Mail and now by a Canadian mortgage company here on the website as well. So there's, I like to think that this is honest information and it seems uh, it was just over 12000 in their total estimates. But ultimately, it will also depend on your interest rate. This one, when it was calculated, was at 3%. Now, of course, there are people who are over 3% if you were locked in before the mortgage changes that have happened, which is what I want to get into next. And this actually is in the same article. They're talking about fixed rate mortgages. This week, somehow we've been able to not talk much about mortgage rates and what they've been doing lately, which is a bit of a funny thing because mortgage rates have been fluctuating so much. This is the thing when you're dealing with articles every single day, the amount of information out there is just crazy. And so something as simple as what are mortgage rates doing falls through the cracks. So here it is. And I'm so glad we took an extra swing at this to try and fill you guys in on what's been going on in the mortgage industry, which is absolutely crazy. I've even thought about doing a video on our weekly YouTube channel, but it's so challenging because as we batch this content, which has now gone from batching four or five weeks ahead down to now trying to squeeze two videos at a time, the mortgage rates one is a very difficult one because it happens so fast. But let me share with you what's been going on. According to this article, after a recent rise in fixed mortgage rates, they have since started to fall back down with a number of big lenders cutting rates between 5 to 20 basis points. Rates are declining due to falling bond yields, which lead fixed mortgages, as well as a decline in risk premiums costs for borrowers, according to a recent post on ratespy.com. This is a quote from their article. The trend implies we should see conventional five-year fixed rates dip at least 20 more basis points under 2.5% if you wanted to follow along on the total mortgage amount. 2.5 would be your mortgage if funding costs don't shoot much higher. The rate comparison side notes, few would have expected that a month ago at the time, spooked investors were forcing banks to pay for more for their funding. Now, before I move on from there, why were they doing that? So it was a very interesting thing that was happening and it had mortgage brokers even scratching their head as interest rates were dropping so fast, so fast. At the same time, we saw interest rates shortly thereafter bumping upwards. And it was this big question mark. I'm like, why the hell is this going on? And ultimately the reason from what how I understand it is they were so busy. They had so much going on and the risks were so high that they thought, well, we're going to take a little bit extra because if I'm going to give money out, I'm, I'm in concern now that you're not going to be able to make that payment because prices are coming down potentially. We're in a bad economic environment. People are losing their jobs. And during that season, they said, I'm going to charge a little bit more of a premium to make sure in other words, I don't want your mortgage right now. I mean, if you want to come join us, you're going to pay a little bit extra to come to us. And they were doing that across the board. And at the same time, they were so busy. They were dealing with all these applications from refinances. Now, I know they said they published they were prioritizing new business and new clients. But I also hear, especially on the B lending side, that a lot of them were having a lot of difficulty with communicating, which I have mentioned this week. So go back and check our podcast where they are making it a little bit more difficult for people to apply because they're, a lot of them aren't even picking up their phones. The mortgage brokers, they're still going about doing their thing. In many cases, my understanding is they still need to see clients face-to-face. And so that creates its own challenge. But the actual communicating can happen very well on the phone until you contact a lender. And a lot of these, because they're so busy with deferrals and refinances, they don't have time. And so it makes it a little more difficult when you're trying to close a property, which all of this creates confusion. So this article finishes here. Since then, the Bank of Canada 
finance department and CMHC have committed to buying hundreds of billions in money market instruments, bonds, and mortgage securities, putting a lid on rates. So ultimately, let's get rid of that risk. And that's what's happened. And so now I've seen promotional rates in the last couple of months under the 2.5. But according to this article, they're going to become more and more popular. I've had debates at length with mortgage brokers about whether they should you should be in a fixed or a variable rate mortgage. And um, from one that I trust uh, closely, uh, his advice is to get into a variable rate mortgage. Now, obviously, it depends on the client. It depends on your situation. And a third product that also comes out of this would be a home equity line of credit. And what I wanted to do, this article just very quickly grazes over it, uh, but I want to explain to you what a line of credit is, because if we're going to talk about mortgages, we're going to talk, we should talk about all the products, especially given the number of investors that are listening to me on the podcast. Some of you maybe have a property or two properties in a fixed or, or um, a fixed or a variable rate mortgage and don't really know or haven't had the equity to get into a home equity line of credit. Well, today's your lucky day because you're going to learn about what this product means. But before I get into that, let me read what this article says. Despite the overall stabilization of home prices in recent years, the HELOC borrowing has been persistently slowing since the start of 2019, noted a recent Scotiabank report. It is unclear if borrowing has been actively declining due to a change of customer preferences or due to limited ease of accessing these funds. So ultimately, in the recent past, the home equity line of credit has become less and less popular. They had little charts that actually showed a pretty deep dropping off of the line of credit product. But it's important that we know what it is. I personally have a home equity line of credit because in my business, I have huge cash injections that come in. And I want to make sure that that's eating away at my mortgage. And in the proper environment, it can help you pay your mortgage off in 7 to 10 years. And so it's a very smart product if you know how to use it. But typically, a home equity line of credit comes with a higher interest rate. They float in above and they follow the variable rates, essentially. So as we've seen these recent price drops, I've actually seen pretty significant price drops on my mortgage as well. So it's very similar in the variable in that it fluctuates with interest rates. But at the same time, the home equity line of credit is a lien against your property that you are able to borrow from. So let's say, for example, you've got a $500,000 home. You are allowed to borrow up to eighty or sorry, 65% of that can be borrowed in this line of credit, which is unique to this product too, because a typical mortgage would be 80% loan to value is kind of the safety net. On a line of credit, you need 65. So some people will actually have a 65% line of credit and then they'll bump it up with a fixed rate mortgage up to that additional 15%. But the line of credit portion will only allow 65%. And the idea here is it just turns your mortgage into a bank account. So you can spend money off your card, which is your mortgage card. And let's say I go spend $1,000 to buy myself a nice flat screen TV. I don't know where you could do that, but let's say you could do that. Uh, I guess you could do that if you get a small enough TV. Maybe I've been buying too big a TV. But if you go and make a purchase of 1000 bucks, that would immediately mean, okay, your mortgage as of today bumps up $1,000. And so your payment will go up on a daily floating balance. So when you get your statement in the mail, I had one come in just yesterday, it gives your total over the course of the month. And so everything is based on a single day versus on a typical mortgage. They're based on biweekly or monthly, but they're they're actually a fixed amount, right? And they float with that rate. And so that rate is consistent on the actual borrowed amount from the beginning. Because if you're going to borrow, let's say, $500,000 on our $600,000 property, that $500,000 payment is going to be consistently made over time. And the interest, there's no, there's no fluctuation. There's no changes. Whereas on a line of credit, it does change. So the idea in the line of credit to make it successful is you need to have chunks of money paying that down and eating away at it as much as possible because you're going to be paying a higher interest rate if not. 
in the last few years, because property values have gone so much, this product, when it was being sold, was an opportunity for people to keep borrowing up from their home. And people like to say, as an ATM, because it really is, you can take money out and go spend it and deal with it later, and your property values are going up anyways. But now, because of what we saw in 2017, and this, these are the reasons that I'm seeing, and now we've got some uncertainty here, of course, we're starting to see this leveling off of line of credit products because people aren't able to budget themselves. So if you're gonna get this product, this is an investor product that you need to fully understand. That's a very high level overview of it. But if you do wanna know or wanna send us some questions, I can discuss it a little bit more. I'm sure in our podcast, we'll probably get into other angles of it down the road. But that is the line of credit and down the road, uh, people look like they're maybe applying for it less because of, which is actually a good thing. Maybe maybe this is the way we're going to summarize this. Less people in a line of credit in an environment where people are financially really dumb is probably a really good thing because this product is not designed for the average Joe. Moving on. I want to get into this really interesting conversation that's happening between one of uh, real estate's most popular individuals here in Toronto and actually in Vancouver as well, a fellow by the name of Brad Lamb. And he posted a tweet, and I'm going to go through that actual tweet, some of the highlights, because it's an interesting perspective, many of which I don't disagree with. I don't like how he went and did it because it created this conflict that now we're seeing between himself and the city councillors. But I want to read with you, the, the article here is, is called, Condo Developer Brad Lamb Calls Out Government Response to COVID-19. But most of the, the juice I'm going to pull out of this is going to be from the actual conversation now i think because of the traffic i think this comment's actually been removed now i think it was on twitter so here was a response to what was said when reached by phone toronto city councillor john matlow called lamb's article reckless and irresponsible this was the quote and this is the conflict going on here mr lamb to my knowledge is not a public health expert it is reasonable in a democracy to ask questions and to have discussions about information provided but to write a diatribe like mr lamb has done completely undercutting the advice that public health advisors around the world are providing for the public to protect their health and their lives is reckless and dangerous i encourage residents to ignore the angry rants of ignorant people on the internet and instead seek advice from credible source of information from experts and then follow that advice to help save lives so apparently i'm not listening to the city council because now we're highlighting it and we're sharing it here today but what i wanted to get out of it is some of the comments that are being made because i i don't disagree with the angle he's taking i do agree with that comment in that he's not a health expert and i'm going to preface this whole thing by saying the same thing i am not a health expert but i also think as lamb does in some of what he says here maybe not all of it but in some of what he says here he's pointing to a real crisis that we're facing and that many people are feeling so let me read from some of the things that i uh not necessarily agree with but some of the highlights from what he says okay so let's start off here so like most canadians and citizens of the world i am accepting our government's current version of the best response of COVID 19. i am however becoming less satisfied as i watch the world melt away in an unprecedented loss of wealth business and employment the damage to our world as a result of these forces measures will be devastating alcoholism drug addiction spousal abuse child abuse suicide depression and other mental health issues are massively on the rise Poverty and an inability to pay monthly bills is also soaring. The stress on everyone is becoming unmanageable. It is possible that the toll that the government exacts from its citizens to fight this virus will exceed the damage caused by the virus itself. In effect, we have two pandemics, COVID-19 and an economic depression, and in brackets, along with the deaths and misery that come with the latter. We will need to deal with both. This is a very good point that he brought up. That article could have probably just ended right there and he wouldn't have been squashed at all because it creates this kind of conflict. Actually, that 
would have been my advice. Mr. Lamb, if you can go back in, uh, in history, because uh, we all know how powerful you are, go back and do that, and uh, you'll be good. But uh, the article, unfortunately, continues to go on, a lot of which I skipped. He, he does get into the numbers. He talks about the death tolls and, and all these things. And so then the article reads, Keep in mind, we were all told the objective of the extreme emergency me measures being imposed, i.e. almost complete commercial shutdown and home quarantining, was to, quote, flatten the curve. This was clearly communicated as the only way to keep the medical system, brackets, specifically our hospitals, from being overloaded and allowing people to get the necessary treatment in order to survive. The goal was not to reduce our infection rate to zero before lifting the personal and economic restrictions. So see, now he's going in and saying, well, you guys said that we're going to bring things back. But now all of a sudden, because there's one person that's infected, we can't open the doors. But then kind of shining back to that first paragraph, he said, ultimately, that's going to lead to an economic slowdown, which is which creates additional problems. Even in Ontario, which has struggled with low testing rates and outbreaks of long-term care homes, hospitals are not being overrun with COVID-19 cases. As of April 11, official Ontario statistics show, see, this is where he comes into problems. He's throwing numbers out here. Nearly 80% of the Ontario ventilators are not being used. In other words, there's plenty of patient capacity. It looks like we have accomplished what we have been asked to do. Waiting in isolation for the infection rate to hit zero or for a miracle vaccine or cure was not the plan 30 days ago. Now, keep in mind, this article was actually... Uh, my understanding was sent out from his uh, official email for his company. And so this creates additional conflict. It's like, is the company backing it? But it's after his name. So I guess it would be. But a lot of people are saying, you know what? Like, just be quiet. Stop talking. But he's pointing to an interesting point because he has a big business that requires buyers and people to be financially stable to purchase properties as he's developing them. And, and he needs these markets, right? And so so do we. For, for anyone that thinks, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm liking my emergency benefit and I don't want to work anymore. Actually, Sandra, my wife, was joking about it yesterday. She said, how do you like living off the system? Because we're obviously not writing any business right now in my industry, at least for my side in the next month or two. If this flips around, of course, I'd rather be making money. I'd rather be selling real estate. But at the end of the day, I got to protect my wife who's having a baby in the next couple of months. And I don't want to be running around looking at stuff unless it's a absolute sure bet. So instead, I'm sitting here this morning talking to you guys through your podcast machine. So moving on to keep this train rolling, on average, Canadians save $160 a month. One third of Canadians have no savings. Many millions literally live paycheck to paycheck. So he's pointing to all of these financial issues. He's talking about, it goes on just to skim through this article, elderly people and how elderly people could have just been in isolation. There are, there are other countries like Taiwan and Sweden that are doing this, but the problem is, is we don't officially know. And do you wanna be the leader that declares to open everything up and kill thousands of people and that's not going to look so good when the election comes down the road for those who do not know in the 1930s we had what was known as the great depression and he goes on to say unemployment was at 25 percent gdp declined 30 percent and then later in the article he says the great depression rolled on for years hit numbers the misery from this will be epic the tax base from government spending is going to be greatly reduced likely to 50 percent of a typical year so he's essentially comparing what we're in now to the Great Depression and and reminding people of how tragic that is. Again, way overboard, but the point here is that there is a toll put on our government, that our government is placing a toll on our marketplace, on our economy, that can have potentially higher risks than the actual finding the cure. But the problem is there's so many questions and there's so much politics involved. So I understand, good for you, Bradley, for putting your thoughts into it. I think it was a little bit of a uh, underhanded and obviously the city councillors don't like it. Okay, moving on. I want to uh, also cover before we wrap this all up, just briefly, I want to talk about stocks. 
I don't know about you guys, but I am fascinated by the stock market, especially when things are crazy, which is the case right now. Just looking at what happened this week, the Dow Jones actually gained this week 704 points and the S&P 500 more than 75 points, which is a nearly increase of 2.7%. And the NASDAQ is up 117 points, which is actually a really big deal because we're now seeing growth this week anyways. On Thursday, President Trump released guidelines to reopen the economy despite the possibility of a second wave of the virus, and several state governors have also announced dates for easing restrictions. So there is talk now in the states, following along this article we just read, of opening things up because they're trying to prevent, they want to make sure that that promised V-shaped recovery continues. And if I highly encourage you guys at the end of this podcast to jump onto any market tracking website. I personally use investing.com. I think it's a really good app on my phone and I like it. And it gives little articles related to why things are happening when they're happening. You can track different things. Like I track my own portfolios as well. And it's a platform where you will clearly see a deep V that's happened. And we have, we look like we're almost halfway back from our recovery, which is so interesting. But I also wanted to talk about why that's going on, because the other thing that we're noticing is the economic data that's coming out of the States shows significantly like significant falling. So while the Commerce Department announced retail and food services fell 8.7%, the biggest decline on record, more than 5.2 million Americans filed unemployment claims last week. So all of this information is so bad, but yet the market is boosting so high. We see the Bank of America drop 45%, Citigroup drop 46%. Crazy, crazy statistics. So what I wanted to just highlight again, and I've kind of alluded to this over the last week, but ultimately, the reason for this is government spending. They are pumping tons and tons and tons of money. Actually, the Brad Lamb article mentions this too. Just tons of money in order to prop things up and to keep things going, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's going to eventually be a bad thing because these costs are just piling and piling. And it almost seems like we're just headed for inflation. It has a lot of people running to precious metals, but then those are also kind of slowing down from what I'm seeing because people are realizing that the market is on this uptick right now. So the question is, is, is this real growth that's happening? Because at the same time, we see this failing economy around us. We also see stocks rebounding and just wanting to push new highs, which is silly. It's like, why, why are we fully rebounded when things are still in disarray? It doesn't make any sense. Such an interesting conversation. So if, if in all transparency on my stock portfolio from retirement and locked in accounts that I have, Right now, I'm sitting in a 50-50 account. I bought in very close to the bottom because there was kind of this little bounce I saw happening. So I jumped in a portion of my investment, but half of my stocks are still sitting on the side because, yes, I could lose. And I've, I've wrapped my head around it. I could miss this entire growth on half my investment. But at the same time, the amount of uncertainty going on and the amount of economic challenges that we face, I want to have money that if something does happen, I don't want to be the sucker that was all in on an environment like this. And so anyways, uh, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, as mentioned. And I'm so happy to have uh, spent this week with you in the morning and shared with you some of the news that I'm seeing come out in Toronto. I hope you guys are getting lots of value out of this. Continue to tune in and subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. We will be away tomorrow, but I'll see you again Monday morning, bright and early. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Take care and keep it real. Oh, 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 oh,